Vegas, baby. Vegas. Will Marc-Andre Fleury be up 500 by midnight after he gets drafted by the Vegas Golden Knights? Maybe being the first goalie ever taken by the new hockey franchise will be enough cachet to get Daddy the Rain Man suite. As of right now, Marc-Andre Fleury could probably walk down the middle of the strip in full goalie gear and probably be mistaken for a trainer in protective gear for the Siegfried and Roy Tigers. But by this time next year, I bet he's a full-fledged star in that town. George McPhee and the Knights now just have to live up to their end of the bargain and take him. I'm Tim Benz in for Mark Madden. We are brought to you by Matt Mertz Plumbing, count on a name you can trust. So yes, the long-anticipated, much-awaited NHL expansion list is out there. We know the players that are available and unavailable for the Knights to draft. And to the surprise of no one, Marc-Andre Fleury was made available by the Pittsburgh Penguins along with the likes of Ian Cole, Brian Rust, and Carl Hagelin. The presumptive opinion is that the Golden Knights will select Marc-Andre Fleury and make him their first goalie. Something that Fleury says would be convenient for both him and the team. And I do think that's a good way to phrase it. It's a very convenient exodus, both tactically, roster-wise, cap-wise, and emotionally, too, for both sides because you're not going to have to root against Marc-Andre Fleury in terms of big picture, likely, for years if he stays in Vegas and on an annual basis, but once or maybe twice a year and just once at home. Just allowing himself to be exposed is a win for the Penguins because they didn't have to expose Matt Murray. And if Matt Murray was exposed, he most assuredly would have been taken by the Knights. So now... If Vegas does select Flurry, that's gravy. But while we are all assuming that will be the case, we don't know that it will be for sure. I mean, Ranta, Grubauer, Luongo, Neuwirth, Mrazek, all these guys are available via the draft. And the Knights have to take at least three guys at the position, and Flurry is expensive. But Corpusalo from Columbus, he won't be taken because of a pre-arranged agreement. Apparently, there is one in place for Pittsburgh. The thinking is that it will be flurry and maybe a little juice added to it. We had a call earlier in the show saying that they read that story on Pennsburg. I read it too, and it's exactly what we were describing, that there might be a little something-something added for George McPhee to make sure that, in fact, yes, he will take flurry, which will add to the Penguins' cap room along with the uh, logistic matter now of just making it Matt Murray's net moving forward. Now, the Golden Knights could also use free agency where there are the likes of Ryan Miller, Steve Mason, Brian Elliott, among others that could sign early with the Golden Knights. So in theory, they could select three goalies from the expansion draft and trade them off for picks if they don't want somebody else's goalie, or better said, somebody else's goalie contract. And that last part is the only part where Flurry would have come into play as an issue. He's expensive. So just because the Penguins and Flurry have decided to make him available, that doesn't mean that the Knights have to take him. But I asked Jesse Granger of the Las Vegas Sun about that when he joined me on DK Sports Radio and upstairs at ESPN Pittsburgh. This is what Jesse had to say from the Las Vegas Sun. He covers the team. I would not doubt that at all because... Everything I've got from George McPhee, the general manager for the Golden Knights, is that he wants to build this team through the entry draft. The expansion draft is nice. He can get some good players. There are going to be good players he can get, but I think he's using it more as a tool to get assets in order to flip them for picks and build this team through the entry draft. If it's up to him, we come out of this expansion draft with more with more draft picks than actual players that he wants, basically getting teams to pay us draft picks to take players instead of 
the ones that they don't want to lose. Right. So the thinking being they could take Flurry and spin him off to another team and get picks in exchange for him. But as you heard from Steve Carp, who covers the Knights as well for the Las Vegas Review Journal earlier today on the Mark Madden show, he's doubting that will be the case and he thinks Flurry is going to stay. So I will ask you two different questions here. Uh, the first of which is if you are the Las Vegas Golden Knights and you can divorce yourself from the inherent Mark Andre Fleury bias that we have here in Pittsburgh. Would you take Mark Andre Fleury with your pick if you're Vegas? We want it to happen. We're hoping that it happens. But if you're Vegas and George McPhee, would you do it? Or would you take Brian Rust or Ian Cole off the Penguins' unprotected list? Or Carl Hagelin, for that matter. You tell me, I would go with Fleury. I still think for all the reasons we put out there, his marketability, his ability to play behind a lesser defense, um, the ability to, like we just heard there from Jesse, spin him for picks somewhere down the line. If you're willing to trade him to a team that's on the uh, movement list, the approved list for Flurry that maybe Jim Rutherford was not, there's a lot to like about taking Flurry. I would do it, but would you, or would you go with Cole or Rust? Are the Penguins benefiting, in your opinion, by Flurry going and Cole and Rust staying? From a Penguin point of view, I think you got to like the way that this is going to go down. You tell me, 412-333-9939. You can also tweet me, at Tim Benz PGH. For the record, I don't know if you heard this, but we were talking about it earlier, how they're going to do this as far as the mechanics. And Bob was explaining this to me a little bit too, that they, I guess during the TV show, are going to do this five players at a time and kind of work their way up to the top where the Penguins were because of the Stanley Cup Championship. So you won't know about Marc-Andre Fleury being officially a member of the Knights until probably late in the program, and that's quite the crescendo to build. And you're going to have to sweat it out a little bit, but you can kind of tell as things go along. Keep in mind, Vegas, in theory, can take as many as seven goaltenders if they want to. They have to take at least three, but they can take up to seven. And we'll talk to Ron Tugnut about that in just a little bit. He joins us at 5.30. So that's the question I wanted to ask you first and foremost. The second question is this, because there were some complaints that I've been seeing and hearing recently. I told you the story about some Flyer fans I was getting into it with yesterday who were saying that the expansion draft is too punitive to the teams that currently exist, that the expansion draft is taking too much away from teams that currently have rosters put together and Vegas should have to earn it more. I disagree with that. I think that if you are going to bother to put an expansion team together, you should at least make it good, make it competitive, and you've got to brace yourself if you're going to vote for expansion to lose some players. Don't complain about it now, after the fact. You should have complained about it in advance when it sounded like, hey, it's fun to have a Vegas team in the National Hockey League. Well, yeah, it is, but you've got to lose players to populate that team or else it's useless to have the team exist in the first place. We were discussing that with Stan Saverin earlier. I don't have a problem with how this is set up. In fact, I guarantee you, and the Penguins are one of them, in fact, that there are probably teams out there that are happy the expansion has happened this year because you can move salary, you can move bad contracts, you can move bulk, you can create cap space. That's exactly where the Pittsburgh Penguins are in this situation. They are probably happy as hell that things came down the way that they did at this time. I don't complain at all about the expansion process and the way that it's set up. You lose just one guy? Just one guy? That's nothing. This is going to give the Penguins 
not only the ability to advance Jari, eliminate the concerns moving forward about playing time, which I think finally this year would have been an issue. I mean, they got rid of Mike Bales already. What was Flower going to do about that? But they also have $5 million in cap space they could play with now. Want to keep Nick Benino? Want to get another defenseman? Want to replace Nick Benino if he gets even more than that elsewhere? You're not going to do that if Marc-Andre Fleury and his contract are still on the team. So I don't have a problem with the expansion draft and the way it's set up. You tell me if you do. Again, 412-333-9939. And I know a lot of people wanted to get in on this. We couldn't get to everybody before when Stan came on. But um, this comparison that was brought up, I heard it earlier today on the Pirates flagship station, during their midday show, I think it was Andrew Filipponi who actually advanced it and said, will we see the same sort of emotional reaction, the same sort of emotional outpouring when Andrew McCutcheon leaves like we are seeing for Marc-Andre Fleury? Will there be people lined up to get bracelets like they're going to see Pink Floyd just to get a handshake and an autograph from Andrew McCutcheon when he leaves like we're seeing with Marc-Andre Fleury at this Dick's Up in Cranberry? And I don't think we will. And I think that has to do with personality. I think that has to do with expectation. Like, people didn't expect Marc-Andre Fleury to go. They expected Kutch to go. And I think it has to do with championships, bottom line. Let's go to Scott. He's calling in from Utica. Hi, Scott. You're on 105.9 The X. Hey, Tim. Go Orange. How's it going, Scott? Uh, pretty good. Uh, I agree with you 100% on the Fleury trade. I think it's a great move uh, financially for the club. Plus, they also raised the salary cap by $2 million, I believe, this year. So uh, yeah, I saw it was going up. I didn't see the exact number, but the Penguins, as opposed to last year where it didn't matter to the Pens because everybody was coming back, they need it this year to either keep or replenish those who leave. So it's a good time for a lot of this to coalesce. Absolutely. Not only on a financial standpoint, but the one thing I want people in Pittsburgh to remember, they came, they're getting a goalie that has three Stanley Cups. Philadelphia is hurting for a goalie. What are the people in Pittsburgh going to do when Las Vegas trades in the Philly for two first-round draft picks? Well, I don't think he'd cost that much. I mean, it, you know, Mike Smith didn't cost that much, and um, not but even Mark close. Mark Furry, over his lifetime, has been the best regular season goalie I've ever seen in my life. Okay, but they're not going to pay that. But still, two first-round draft choices is absolutely overwhelming. Thanks, Scott. I mean, I know we have an attachment to him, but no one's giving away that much for a goaltender. I, You've got to be like a Sidney Crosby or a Vigetti Malkin type to get two first-round draft choices. Um, but it is possible. I could see it. I don't know if Philadelphia is on Mark's list or not. But if it is, I know that Jim Rutherford wouldn't want to give him up to Philadelphia. But George McPhee might. What does he care, right? Scooch is calling from Hopewell. Hi, Scooch. Hey, what up, baby? Go ahead. Hey, uh, I, saw this, uh, I saw this out on the internet that possibly Vegas might take Brian Russ and then trade to get Flurry because they know the Penguins are going to be eager to get rid of Flurry with that 5.7 a year contract. Do you think in any way that could happen? So you're saying that they would take Rust and then turn right around and deal him. Why wouldn't you do it preemptively and just give away the guy that you were going to give away so that they take him? That's one step. That's overcomplicating it by one step. Like the story that's out there, I can't remember who put it out. I think it was McKenzie who said that of the six trades that are pending, one of them is with Pittsburgh. You're just adding a layer there by taking rust instead of working in advance, and that's what McPhee has been doing nonstop with every team in the league, working in advance to say, we'll take player X. What are you going to give us to do that to assure we don't take somebody else? Throwing rust in the mix just overcomplicates it. If it's an extra pick, if it's Derek Pouliot, if it's a player currently on the roster, maybe it's Carl Hagelin, I don't know, somebody like that, 
Just do it in advance. Don't add the layer of getting rust, then giving them back. That's silly. Let's get to Jimmy in White Oak. Hi, Jimmy. Hey, how you doing, man? Good, Jimmy. Do you think the uh, Pens would have still gotten rid of Flurry if there was no expansion draft? And maybe Flurry would have pulled like a Brady move and took a pay cut just to, you know, have two solid goalies and maybe. Right. Look, he can't he can't renegotiate against the cap with the current contract, so he couldn't have done that. It's not a fluid cap like the NFL in that regard. Number one and number two, I think he wants to go somewhere and play. I think. After he played as well as he did in the playoffs, then lost that one game against Ottawa where things went bad for five minutes, and he wasn't able to get back in and get another start, even when Murray went through some troubles of his own and rebounded. He was not given that opportunity to rebound. I think that changed the narrative. It wouldn't have been as easy for Flurry to be anywhere as accepting as he was prior to that. I think what they would have had to do if there had been no expansion draft this year, or if they couldn't have worked out a deal with McPhee, if he didn't want Flurry and didn't think it was worth it, what they would have had to do is find one of the teams that Mark Andre was willing to go to and trade him for pennies on the dollar and be stuck with him maybe beating them on a regular basis if that team is somewhere within their own division or their own conference. 412-333-9939, or you can tweet me, at Tim Benz, PGH. I want to mix in some Steeler talk when we come back. You might have heard all the discussion that came out during minicamp about how much the Steelers are stepping on the accelerator to get home field advantage throughout the playoffs and how it relates to the New England Patriots. i got a different take on that. We'll talk about Le'Veon Bell's absence as well. All that to come. Tim Benz in for Mark Madden on 105.9 X. Only a couple minutes here, so I'm going to spend a little time talking about the Steelers. Tim Benz in for Mark Madden. We've got a lot of hockey talk under the... Um, pile of notes that I've already put aside here that we've uh, accomplished and we got more coming up with Ron Tugnut former Pittsburgh Penguin goaltender who then immediately went to an expansion franchise he signed with the Columbus Blue Jackets after that really nice uh, run that he had with the Pens for half a season so Ron Tugnut coming up in just a bit to talk about the transition that Marc-Andre Fleury may make by the way brought to you by McDonald's I'm loving it Tim in for Mark today on the X your home for the back-to-back Stanley Cup champion Pittsburgh Penguins like I said, a few minutes on the Steelers here. Mark Caboli had a post over at DKPittsburghSports.com. You can hear my daily podcast at DK Sports Radio. And he was inferring that the Steelers' coaches and players are already preaching to themselves the importance of getting the Patriots at home in the playoffs this year as opposed to going to New England for an AFC title game. Here's what Mark wrote on DKPittsburghSports.com. You can still get the link. And this is after a conversation that he had with Keith Butler. Quote, The Super Bowl has to come through Pittsburgh, Butler said. We have to do that. Mark goes on to write, It's been brought up time and time again during the past month of minicamps and OTAs to drive the point home of how crucial it is to play at home that time of year. Here's a quote from David DeCastro. They really have made that point, and that's been a big thing with them. It's a huge advantage. Take the Patriots. It's a lot harder to play them there than our place. If it comes down to that, it's important. Let me stop in mid-thought here. For David, it's been hard to play them anywhere. You could play them on the moon, and they're going to be a two-touchdown favorite. It did come down to that last year, so says Cabali. The Steelers won nine straight games before getting wiped off the Gillette Stadium turf in the second half by the Patriots to fall short of the Super Bowl. You might say that the Gillette Stadium crowd had a little to do with the Patriots' dominance over the Steelers that day, and a change of location wouldn't do much to change that, and you could very well be right. In reality, the Steelers did lose to the Patriots during the regular season at Heinz Field and are 2-2 and in AFC Championship games there, but 
Guard Ramon Foster did bring up a valid point, quote, We played in 2010 against the Ravens, and last year it was totally different. Having played it at home and having played it in Foxborough, yes, it means something. Okay. Um, like Mark said, you know, Ramon brings it up. Historically, wherever the Steelers have played the Patriots, it, it doesn't matter. Tom Brady's dominance over the Steelers really knows no zip code. And I think going with a Heinz Field or bust mentality for the playoffs is a bad idea. Suggesting that a home game has to happen to get out of the conference is setting yourself up for failure, actually. I know both Tomlin Super Bowl trips came through home field AFC Championship games, but in both cases, a number one seed had to lose to make that happen. Tennessee once, and the Patriots another time. Plus, in order for Pittsburgh to win home field throughout, they probably need to be at least 12-4 and and beat New England in the regular season to make that happen because the Patriots are almost always a 12-win team and there is no Tom Brady suspension this year to worry about. And as we have seen over the years, it's tough to be a 12-win team in the AFC North. It's easier to do in the AFC East. It's part of the reason why New England gets home field so often. And when the Steelers have done it, when they have been a 12-win team, they've still never been the one seed. Mike Tomlin has never been higher than the two seed entering the postseason. I think the Steelers have been a good road playoff team. You know, 05-2006 obviously stands out, and they've won a road playoff game in each of the last two seasons. So that whole avoid Gillette Stadium or bust mentality sounds like a lot of empty rhetoric to me. I think it's important to get home field as much throughout just in case the Patriots lose. And then you could be in a situation like you were in those previous years. Be in position to get home field as long as possible and to do what you always do, just hope Tom Brady has a bad day or something, they stub their toe and get a fluky loss, and then you get to keep home field advantage by virtue of being the two or three seed. 412-333-9939. When we come back, former Pittsburgh Penguin goaltender Ron Tugnut, he'll join us. You're going to hear from him about making the transition from playing goal in Pittsburgh to doing so on an expansion team. He did it with Columbus. He's up next. Tim Benson for Mark Madden on the X. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. You're like, what the hell? Hey, Mark. Hey, what? Super genius, big fan. It's Ringling Brothers time. The X at 1059. Mark Madden is in Vegas. The expansion draft is in Vegas. I'm Tim Benz back in Pittsburgh. Somebody who knows about the expansion process is Ron Tugnut, former Penguins goaltender who played for the Pens in 2000, that famous five-overtime game where he made 70 saves and that wasn't enough to beat the Flyers. I had a chance to catch up with Ron Tugnut on DK Sports Radio this morning. After playing for the Pens, he signed a free agent contract, not via the expansion draft, but a free agent contract with the Columbus Blue Jackets in their first year of existence. I got to cover him there. Very much liked Ron and was able to catch up with him to talk about the transition that Marc-Andre Fleury may have to make between going from the Penguins, who were contenders, to an expansion team that likely will struggle. Here's what Ron had to say about that move for Fleury and his memories of playing for an expansion franchise. Listen, the reason I wanted to get you on was uh, with the expansion draft looming in Vegas and Marc-Andre Fleury being very much front and center of discussions I wanted to pick your brain a little bit about uh, what that process was like when you went to Columbus. And actually, uh, I refreshed my own memory here and reading back and uh, your move to the Blue Jackets from the Penguins. I'd forgotten you weren't taken in the draft, right? You actually signed a free agent contract with the Blue Jackets. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, 
I signed a free agent uh, signing with the Blue Jackets uh, shortly. I think I was might have been like July 3rd, so somewhere right around there. Maybe July 4th, uh, 4th of July could have been that day as well. But um, but I was taken in the draft, and I played uh, with the Mighty Ducks back in their expansion year as well. So I, I got the benefit of playing for two expansion teams. When you say benefit, uh, you're being sarcastic there? Or was that was that hard for you oh. to do put behind like uh, expansion-level blue lines and things of that sort? Not at all. Uh I, I think those were two highlight years for me where, you know, I really enjoyed my time there. The first year is, uh, I like to call it the honeymoon period where um, no matter what you do wrong, they still love you. So uh, it's new in the town. It's fun. Uh, and both uh, both those teams, the first Ducks and the first uh, Columbus, were very competitive in their first year, um, you know, with players that wanted to prove themselves that really made a difference and looking ahead to Las Vegas uh, and the roster that they could have, they could be a pretty good team uh, early, especially with a goalie like Flurry. Yeah. And to your point about that honeymoon period that you referenced, I imagine you're still pretty fondly remembered and received in Columbus. I knew you were pretty popular there when they decided to make the uh, signing in the first place. Furthermore, uh, being a Pittsburgh guy myself out there for that year, year and a half, there were a lot of Penguin fans who were just excited to get the NHL in their city, and you kind of had a, a natural fan base when you got to Columbus, did you not? Yeah, like, we had a, like, they did a really good job marketing, which I expect Vegas would do the same, of course, but Columbus did a great job marketing um, the team early. And we did a lot of events early, getting the players out in the community because there was a real vibe for uh, the upcoming season. And, you know, I think that that was part of the fun for us is just getting to a new city and seeing how excited people are about the team coming in. And, um, you know, it was, it, was, it was just a great experience. And you did have, I'm trying to remember some of the other familiar names that came on board to Columbus in that expansion draft, people that... I know Penguin fans were familiar with and hockey fans in Central Ohio that helped as well. Tyler Wright, correct? Another former Penguin. And Robert Cron, Jeff Sanderson from the old Hartford Whalers. So, yeah, there were some pretty well-known guys that came on board. And Doug McLean being the GM, he was not afraid to bring on some bruisers, as I remember, too. They had both Oliwa and Lyle Oldline in the locker room at the same time, right? Yep, we were. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned Oldline because um, he was another one of those guys that played some games in Pittsburgh as well but uh, our team was not short on toughness uh, that's usually what you can always get in the expansion draft is some toughness which uh, I think a lot of the teams like to get those guys just because they know they're going to have some young guys that they don't want to be intimidated and um, you know so that that's that's part of the norm usually you get yourself some good goaltending where you lack maybe is is that fine touch around the net goal scoring and that's that's the one area that if they are to steal some players in this draft and get some guys that can put pucks in the net that are proven scorers and pay the price that those players are making salary-wise, they're going to maybe have the full package there and be a competitive team. Ron Tugnut is our guest, formerly of the Pittsburgh Penguins and the Columbus Blue Jackets, and as you point out, the Mighty Ducks as well in their expansion seasons, bringing them on to talk about the expansion draft and, of course, the looming prospect of likely Marc-Andre Fleury going to Vegas did you see the list, Ron, of all the goalies that are available besides Mark? I mean, there's some really good ones on that list. I know, like we said before, you signed as a free agent, but was it the same way when Minnesota and Columbus came in the league together? Were there that many good goalies available for the two expansion teams that year? Um, 
I, I felt like there was. Um, you know, they kind of set themselves up where they, uh, my year they, in uh, Anaheim, they took uh, Guy Bear and myself, and then I think Thomas Volkun was the other one. And he was a younger guy, and so they're trying to set their, their, their franchise up with two guys that could take some ice time and then have a third guy that they felt was that third guy coming in, and then they start drafting guys like uh, Shalenkov, a uh, Russian kid that played there after me. You know, so uh, usually they'll take three goalies, and, you know, they're always not going to take just your cream of your crop guys like a Luongo Flurry and, um, you know, an award. They're not going to do that, right? There's a lot of salary. So they're going to, they're gonna, I would believe, take a, a real starter and Flurry. You would think they'd take them, and then they'd look to a guy that they feel is a capable backup with a lesser salary. And then, of course, younger guy, um, which I think there's a few of them that'll be available that they can put in their system right away to help their American League team and be a guy that can, they can call up. When it comes to Flurry's ability to handle the net behind an expansion roster, I've made this point on a few occasions since it became clear that he had waived his no-movement clause to potentially go to Vegas, and that is he's played behind worse. I mean, he really did before Sid and Gino got here. There were some pretty tattered lineups that Pittsburgh would run out there in advance of the lockout, Ron. And I think you alluded to this earlier. There's going to be some good talent available, especially on the blue line for this one expansion team, as opposed to the two that came in the league at the same time for you guys. He might not have all that bad of a roster to play behind next year. Not at all. And, you know, I, I think if, if it does go as everybody plans and he does go in the expansion draft to Vegas, I don't think he's going to be at all disappointed. I think that it'll be a tremendous experience for him, first off. But but secondly, like I don't know him that well personally, but everything you hear about him and his personality, he will be an immediate fan favorite. He will be uh, obviously a guy that every teammate that's played with him loves him. Uh, you would think that Vegas would be crazy to not want to have that in their dressing room. Yeah, and there's always the prospect of him becoming an asset for them, if not at the trade deadline at the end of next year. You know, Maybe someone looks at him and says, well, we can acquire him for draft picks or something to that effect because uh, I know in your situation, when you were signed by Columbus, they also had Mark Denis, who they had big plans for, uh, that they took from Colorado. I, I don't know, maybe they see a developmental goalie behind him. I know you were kind of referencing that the way that expansion teams tend to stack their rosters, but... He could be an asset as well as a promotional tool for that first year for George McPhee. Well, and also we're looking at Vegas. You know that they're going to be really eager to put a great product on the ice. And Flurry only being 32, how competitive could their team be in three or four years when he's still in a position that he could give them what they need in a playoff situation? Um, you know, that that's what just all makes sense. He's still – he's. I, I consider a goalie's prime to be 28 to 32. And then, you know, those 33, 34, 35, 36 years, you still got some good goaltending, but you just can't put up the minutes you did. So um, he might be that guy, though, for them that come three years from now or something, they can have a really good playoff run, just like uh, the Florida Panthers did way back with John Van Beesbrook. And they got a goaltender that they can rise at that time. You can watch this with a much more educated eye than me, Ron, but from what we've been able to glean here in Pittsburgh, it's kind of unfortunate that 
Matt Murray emerged the way that he did from Mark Andre's point of view because his athleticism that he had when he was a kid is still obviously there, but the emotional side and the tactical side of Mark Andre's game certainly is rounded into form to make him a complete goaltender. Yeah, I see him now like this playoff for him was fantastic. I think that really, um, you know, when it came to decision time on who was going to play after uh, Mark Andre got pulled, I knew it was going to be Murray because that was the goalie of the future. Why, why put Flurry back in when they knew that Murray was going to be here for the next ten years? So I knew that's exactly what was going to happen. But what I was more happy with was that he could leave knowing that I just showed everybody I can play in the playoffs again. There's no question about it. His demeanor, he bounced back from bad games uh, or games that he didn't play his best in, especially Game 7 and and Washington coming back after a little bit of a rough game before that. That just shows, you know, that he's matured and that he can handle, you know, that that pressure that's going to be put on him down the road in the playoffs. And it was great to see that. Well, finally, Ron, what's your opinion of Matt Murray? What have you been able to see from him in terms of Oh my gosh, it's unprecedented, really. Winning two Stanley Cups as a rookie, technically still in his rookie season. Yeah, that's a tough way to start, eh? <laughs> yeah, didn't get off on the right foot, I guess, right? Yeah, he's got to pick it up. Well, I had I had Matt Murray. I worked with our World Junior Program for five years, and he was one of our goalies through our system, and he played at U18s for us. And um, I was really impressed with his demeanor. He's, he's a very calm, compact goalie doesn't uh, lose his, his, his net very often. He's very poised. You know, for a guy his age and, you know, this what he's gone through in these two years, you know, we're talking about a young guy that's confident is at the highest possible level you would figure, but yet he stays humble through it. So um, that's a great sign. I think he's going to be, um, you know, benefited with being a, on a great team being a young guy and getting an opportunity at the right time and he took it so therefore he's ready to play many years of great goaltending for him and um you know i I could see him down the road being a guy that gets looked at obviously you win championships you get opportunities and he's going to get some opportunities to do some things where you know carrie price is a fantastic goalie and he's still in his prime but you know murray with with winning the, the, the cups and so forth you know, as a younger guy, he's going to start getting some uh, some chances to do some stuff like that, which, you know, I think is going to be great for him. That's Ron Tugnet, former Pittsburgh Penguin goalie. Now uh, he is actually just coming out of re-retirement, or I should say entering re-retirement. He was the owner, general manager, coach, and I believe Zamboni driver and skate sharpener for the Kempner 73s, which is, I guess, a junior team. His kids were on it. One of his kids is now playing on Sacred Heart. The other kid is going to, oh gosh, where is he going? Now I forget. Um, one of them's a goalie, the other one's a forward, but another one of his kids is going to play college hockey somewhere in the U.S. as well. So he's got two college-age kids that are playing the sport and uh, has just re-retired after getting back in following his time, uh, not only with the Blue Jackets and the Penguins, but like you said, the Anaheim Ducks before that. I think he played for eight different NHL teams before finally retiring and, as you pointed out before, working with the Team Canada National Program as well with the under-18 squad and with Matt Murray. So some good insight there from Tugnut as well. Just saw this come across the wire. O.J. Simpson may be getting out of jail and we have a date. It's not far away. 
So Marc-Andre Fleury might want to second-guess moving to Nevada. We'll talk about that when we come back. And instead of Ask Mark Anything, it's Ask Conor McGregor's sparring partner anything. Uh, a lot of people asked a lot of questions, and he gave a lot of answers. We'll have them for you next. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. Uh, uh, hi, Mark. Sorry. I'm uh, talking to my son. Um, no one cares at all. No one. The X at 105.9. But let's say that he actually is able to land on Floyd. Does he have enough knockout power to end that fight? No. You don't think so? No. Instead of ask Mark anything, it's ask Chris Van Heerden anything. To wrap up the program today, Mark out, Tim Benz in on 105.9 The X, brought to you by Chipino Restaurant and Cigar Bar, the city's best seafood and chop house located in the Strip. Yet that's the guy who was the sparring partner, the boxing sparring partner for Conor McGregor. He was asked if McGregor has any prayer of beating Floyd Mayweather. I know Mark has talked quite a bit about this fight. We've talked about it some on DK Sports Radio as well. And I saw these clips on TMZ a couple days ago, and I thought they were worth playing because no Mark has catered towards the audience that has become interested in this fight. That is McGregor's own sparring partner saying he doesn't have a prayer of beating Floyd. Here's some more. It is crazy to think that people can actually compare a fighter that's 0-0 in a boxing and compare right. to, a, to a legend that's 49-0 that, if you go on his resume, has beaten the best of the best in the world. Yeah, it's going to be a gong show. And if it's not a gong show, it's going to suck. And here's what I'm kind of curious about. I'm wondering, and I've talked to Mark about this. He came on the weekly podcast that he does on, on DK with me. And we talked about the prospect of McGregor giving it a solid go for two or three rounds and then, in essence, giving up and putting him in a figure four and taking him down and putting Floyd in a chokehold and you know choking him out or something like that. But if he does, then he forfeits the money. Apparently, there is very in-depth and very uh, prohibitive language in the contract that is likely going to prevent him from taking such recourse or else he's going to lose everything he bargained for and maybe get fined as well in the process if he were to do that. I wonder, though, if McGregor feels like he is going to drum up enough side endorsements, he is going to get enough additional attention He's going to make enough ancillary money because this fight is existing, even in the run-up to it, that it's still going to be worthwhile and he'll do it anyway. I, I still see it going in one of only two directions. Either it stinks and it's boring to watch and Mayweather just points him to death, or McGregor hits him in the head with a stool. I, I, one of those two things is going to happen, but nothing else. Let's go to Tom, who's calling from Virginia. He wants to talk about the goaltending situation with the Penguins and the expansion draft. Hi, Tom. Go ahead. You are on 105.9 The X. Yeah, is this Tim and Bob? It is Tim and Bob. Hey, uh, Tim. Had to do it feeling nostalgic. Um, question for you, I guess. Um, I want to see, hopefully, Flurry end up sticking at Pittsburgh. I know it's unlikely, but hear me out why. I'm hoping he ends up staying just so we can see the reaction of that one jagoff on Twitter that you got in the war with during the playoffs. Oh, he'd melt down. Yes, that would, that would be the guy out in State College who doesn't root for the Penguins. He just roots against Marc-Andre Fleury. So now, moving forward, nothing else matters to this guy. The Penguins, it doesn't matter if the Penguins win another Stanley Cup and three-peat next year. The only thing that matters to this guy is that Las Vegas stinks. He will spend six months next year not paying attention to the Penguins, but... 
rooting against the Las Vegas Golden Knights as if they're Nazis getting ready to stampede through Western Pennsylvania. I mean, he's got that much of a vendetta against Marc-Andre Fleury. Well, I heard he said earlier that uh, Matt Murray actually built uh, and paid for a bigger playground for another Boys and Girls Club. (laughs) Thank you for the call. (laughs) That's right. His slide slid up. That's how good Matt Murray is. He defied gravity, and the slide goes upwards. You know who taught him how to do that? The Wilkes-Barre goaltending coach. All right, here's the news about O.J. Simpson. I guess, should I do two juice stories to close here? All right. One juice story, Le'Veon Bell juice. I said I'd get to this earlier. Maybe I'll get to more in depth tomorrow. But uh, this whole thing about him missing practice and missing the minicamp sessions for the Steelers, we are worrying about nothing. Uh, nothing. I mean, in terms of football, absolutely nothing. There, you don't have to worry one iota that somehow missing these minicamps and missing these OTAs for Le'Veon Bell that is going to affect him come, you know, like – Patriots week in week 14 or even week one. Come on, give me a break. It's not going to affect him at all. The only thing that it worries me to a degree is, is it kind of an indication how far away they are when it comes to a contract and are they going to take this franchise tag drama into training camp? That I might worry about. I worry about it less than who OJ Simpson is going to kill next because it turns out that he's going to have a parole hearing On July the 20th, he could be released as soon as October. So by the time the Las Vegas franchise starts, if he's still in Nevada and he's getting out in October, after his reconditioning process, he could go on a murderous rampage and take out the entire Golden Knights roster. That seems like a lot of work to have that go so tragically wrong. Um, This is what apparently, I'm reading for pro football talk here. Simpson previously secured parole on some of the 12 counts for which he is serving a maximum sentence of 33 years, but other crimes required him to wait until 2017 for a chance at parole. Despite the niceties and nuances of the regulations that apply to the Nevada Board of Parole Commissioners, the key word to look for is discretion. And the key real word to look for is whether or not members of the parole board believe that keeping him in jail is required not by the crimes for which he was convicted of nine years ago, but whether he should be in jail for the rest of his life due to crimes he got away with in 1994. Don't look now, but you know what? If Niall Davis doesn't work out as the backup running back, two juices, one backfield, come on. If you knew he was going to get you 50 yards and two touchdowns in short yardage situation against the Patriots in week 14, come on, you'd welcome him back. I'm on tomorrow. Make sure you're still listening to 105.9 The X. 3 o'clock, we will have plenty more, including a very good interview with Doug McLean, the former general manager of the Columbus Blue Jackets during their expansion years. Doug is going to join us in the 3 o'clock hour. We'll also hear later on in the program in the 5 o'clock hour, uh, I think at about 5.30 or so, we're going to be joined by... DK, he'll jump in. Okay, so DK is going to come on, and we'll get someone else from, we think, Penguins Radio Network in the 4 o'clock hour. Plenty of expansion draft coverage as we say fond farewell to Marc-Andre Fleury. All that to come tomorrow. Tim Ben's in for Mark Madden on 105.9 The X.